Hello, I'm Amy Stevenson, and this is The Human CEO. In each episode, we'll be meeting with CEOs and senior leaders to understand their approach to leadership, the challenges they faced, and how they overcame them. We'll also be asking what they feel it takes to be a great leader. You know, the difference between intention and impact can be night and day. And your intention might be good, but your impact, the way you deliver it is really wrong, or the person you deliver it to is in a different space than you thought, and they can't handle it. And then your impact ends up being really negative. And it's like, you've got to be able to separate the two. Welcome to The Human CEO. I'm your host, Amy Stevenson, and today I'm joined by Paul Avins. This conversation was a little bit different to some of the other podcasts. Paul and I had a conversation not only about Paul's leadership style, but also about the challenges that some leaders face and how to overcome them. Paul's the CEO and growth coach at Paul Avins Enterprises Limited, an award-winning business coach, speaker, and mastermind mentor who supports founders and family business owners to help them break through the scale-up ceiling. He helps to create real shareholder value that can one day lead to a successful seven or eight figure exit. Paul joins us today to share his insight as a leader and a human CEO. Thank you for joining us today, Paul. It's great to have you with us. Great. Uh, seriously, awesome to be here. Thank you for the opportunity. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, me too. Me too. So we're going to do something a little bit different today. So instead of just doing the Human CEO podcast and talking to you purely about your leadership style and how you've approached that and developed that, what I wanted to do was speak with you about leadership in general and the kind of challenges that leaders are facing currently. Yep. There are a few, but it's true. There are. There are. So first of all, can you tell us a little bit about what you're up to at the moment and the challenges that your clients are, are facing? Yeah. So just for a bit of context, um, so I'm an, I am like to introduce myself as I'm fundamentally an entrepreneur that also coaches. So I've been starting growing and building businesses, some successfully, some not so, um, since I was sort of 19, 20 years old um, for the last 30 years of my life, as it were. So, And at this point in my career, I've been 17 years as a professional business coach, let's call it that. So the moment we have 42, 43 different uh, clients in different programs of ours, ranging from uh, masterminds that are designed, one's called the F2R Mastermind, designed to scale people to kind of from a million to five, and then another one that scales them kind of what we call jump the chasm from anywhere from five to 25 million. And and they're looking to kind of have some kind of significant exit event Mm -hmm. where they monetize their shareholder value, right? So like they're, they're, they're very different programs. And then there's about half a dozen clients that I'm coaching privately one to one or have an equity stake in. Okay. Uh, as part of that journey. So, um, and then on top of that, just to be a bit more creative, because I'm one of those entrepreneurs, I have three different companies that ha- are set out and I built specifically to solve the three biggest frustrations I saw leaders have when they were trying to scale their businesses, right? So I have a team psychometric profiling company um, called Team Dynamics. I have a video production company to help people get their message out there so they can really kind of attract talent and customers. Um, so I, had a video agent, I bought a video agency last year and then I had a digital marketing agency to help people solve the whole online digital piece, which generally most people find confusing and overwhelming. So the the reason why I built all of those as um, then they're not run by me, just to be clear, they're run by people that I bought in and, and partnered with to run them. But I just saw that as um, Harvard talks about, like as an entrepreneur right now and a leader particularly, there are three or four things that we need to learn to understand that are our responsibility. As mm-hmm. um, And I think... I don't know if you agree with me with this, Amy, but for me, one of the biggest things that people always say to us, and the reason our masterminds fill out, fill up and sell out, is because actually being a leader is quite a lonely place. It's a very isolated role. You don't have a lot of people to talk to or share. And the interesting thing is you you said that people think that's always to share the negative stuff, but in my experience, it's like, who do you share with when you're winning? Yeah. Like, you know, and especially you know, during COVID, 
there was a lot of this with people who were doing, you know, we had two very distinct camps. There were people who were really finding that life was really difficult. Their market shut down, they're in travel or they're in education or something and their world had been completely disrupted. And then you had anybody who was involved in anything to do with e-commerce or online or any of that, they would, they just, they couldn't grow fast enough. They were, and you had this really interesting experience where certain people who were doing really well felt really guilty about it and didn't, didn't have anyone to talk to about that and, and didn't even have people they could say, well, look, we're really crushing it right now, but we feel bad for all the other people we know who aren't. And how do I process that? And, and, and how do I deal with that? And so sometimes I think it's, you know, as a leader, we're looking for just a safe space to go and get listened to and somebody, people to go, yeah, been there, done that. You're not, it's not you, you know, and, and it's not, there's not an issue with you. You're not broken. This is part of what we call the entrepreneurial, you know, the, the scale up journey. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, right now, more than ever, there's there's the biggest challenge for being a leader is that the game is changing at a rate it's never changed. It's certainly my career, and I've been yeah. doing this 17 years. Um, normally, you go, you, normally you have a bit of breathing space between one kind of crazy event in the world between one yeah. and another, and it and it feels at the moment that I was talking. I, I took three people out for what I call a leadership lunch, and, and took them out for lunch on Friday. Um, for three or four hours, no agenda, just sit, talk about what, you know, what do we learn? And, and it was an incredible conversation, really inspiring. One, one, one leader had managed to um, sell their business during the last two years and, and, and get out a great multiple. Another one was hanging on, you know, literally they'd gone from a 5 million pound business to billing 50 grand in, in one year. That was it. That was all they built. So they were like hanging on and, and had been hanging on for two years and have managed to just about come back now. They were, they were on track for 3 million this year. So, but they, but it, have been hanging on by a thread for two years during COVID. And then you had somebody else who had a 12 million pound business that was just, they'd done everything right. They're an amazing charismatic leadership. They'd done a team of 50, invested in the team, done everything right. R- wrong place, wrong time. They're in the travel sector and, and they just got wiped out. And no matter what they did, they couldn't, they couldn't survive that. Mm-hmm. Um, that what happened. So you had these three, three leaders that were all united by a core cool set of values that I knew that they had, but had had three vastly different experiences during during the the last couple of years, but what was really interesting was how many of the same fears and emotions and struggles they were they'd all dealt with, even though the results were different. And and I think we all sort of sat around the table having this conversation about what we'd learned. And one of the things was that you can do everything right as a leader, and it can still go wrong. <laughs> Yeah. So just, you know, you, you can study all the things you can take all the course coaching and, and you can do all the things right that you, you know, and, and you can be great as a leader. And if you're just in front of a tsunami that you can't do anything about, it's going to wipe you out. And that's, that's mm-hmm. that. And somehow as a leader, you have to be able to separate the identity of yourself and the business. And I think that's one of the things that, that is such an important lesson. So it took me far too long to learn that, that if you are your business, if you are, that emotionally attached to it. Mm-hmm. The danger is, especially at the moment, if something goes wrong with the business or if the market contracts or prices go to the point at which it's not a commercially viable model anymore, which you know can happen, right? Like, especially at the moment with the supply chain issues and everything going on in the world, if your identity as a leader is so closely attached to the business that you it is you and you are it and something goes wrong with it, then um, you are going to have a much harder time bouncing back or recovering from it or processing it because it, it'll wipe not just the business out, but it'll wipe your identity out. And and that that was a really interesting conversation because everybody left going, no matter what everyone had, had, had happened over the last three years, everybody went away going, do you know what? It's just actually the most important thing isn't the money. It's about doing what's in line with your values. Mm-hmm. And that was the biggest thing we all agreed. Like, like even if the business hadn't 
didn't didn't succeed, but they know that they were true to their values all the way along, all the way to the end. Yeah. And actually, that's I think one of the things that leadership is like you got to stay true to your values, yes. regardless of what the market does or doesn't do. It's like that's the only thing you have to navigate by. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Got to be able to look yourself in the mirror, haven't you? Well, yeah, I, I think it's that, but I, I was thinking it's also. Um, you know, Wendy, one of the people who came for lunch, it was also about looking at kids in the eye and going, look, you know, we we did everything we could have done here. There's nothing, you know, I, I know there's nothing else we could have done right now that, that we could have done anything different. Now, that doesn't mean everybody in the outside world is going to recognize that or appreciate that <laughs> or go, yes, well done you. Even You know, yeah. you, you were true to your values. They're not. They're going to have their own issues and their own head trash, right? And some people want to blame other people when stuff goes wrong in their life. But I think it's about that inner inner core certainty that look i did i did everything i could do and and i didn't compromise my values even if at the end of the day it this didn't work out yeah absolutely and so in terms of those ceos that you were speaking to and, and not necessarily them specifically but the ceos that you speak to yep. are there steps that they can take to distance themselves from the organization but create that divide between the the two identities well, I think we all we all have multiple identities, though, don't we? I mean, so if, if you make a list of the identities, you know, I, I've got an identity as a coach, an investor. You know, I'm also managing director of two of the companies. That I'm a husband. I'm, uh, you know, I'm a dad. I'm a brother. You know, I'm a son. I've, it, what's really interesting is if you actually sit down and write out all the identities you you actually have. Mm-hmm. Mo- most of us tend to focus on one and think, "Oh, I'm a business person. That's the identity I, that that defines me." Whereas actually. I try and sit down and go, okay, well, how how am I, how am I or how are the people I'm coaching showing up as as a member of the family? Like how are you showing up as a as a dad or a mum or how are you showing up as a husband or a wife? Like how are you how's that identity in you showing up? So you you're not letting one side of the identity become so dominant that it becomes the only thing you think about and focus on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think too many times we're, we're, we're not thinking about the different versions of us. It's like, okay, so when am we, you know, what's the trigger for, um, so I have a trigger with my wife about when I switch off and stop being pool coach and become pool husband, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like there's a, tr- there's a trigger, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, right, when I come through the house, I get like 15 minutes and then after that, the phone goes down and I, and I that's it. I need to stop being pool coach because yeah. otherwise it doesn't do good things for our relationship, right? So it's like, <laughs> it's like, but it's just, it's that, it's that being aware of which identity you're actually spending the most time in, I think is one of the first things that's really important. Mm-hmm. So if there are, so a lot of our audience, are obviously the CEOs, they're HRDs, but the, where there are founders that have maybe started an enterprise and they've slept and breathed it for the last, whoever knows how long, <laughs> what steps could they take? When you talked about with that, uh, that lunch, separating yourself from the in case things go wrong what steps could they take to do that is it about being mindful about like you just said being mindful about how much time you're spending in that identity or are there steps that you you recommend that they take beyond that yeah i think it depends and and there is this is the challenge i think with anybody who's leading an organization of whatever size it is but certainly during the early stages of of a startup or a scale up when it's really scaling and you know i've been involved with multiple clients now who've scaled significantly and gone from 10 to 50 100 people really quickly Mm -hmm. it, it you know that that requires a certain level of attention right so it's like when people say you when that's happening, it's very hard to stay in balance, actually, mm-hmm. it, uh, genuinely, in all honesty, because it requires that much attention and time and effort. And if you don't give it that, 
then the, the reality is it doesn't tend to make it. So, you know, there is a part of all of, uh, certainly for me and clients, of, of coaching clients to go, look, if you need to be out of balance for a short period of time, that's one thing. The danger is if that becomes a life, a habit that is just your default setting. Mm. I think it's one thing to have a conscious decision to go, look, it's going to be three months. I'm going to be pushing it 12 hour days for the next three, six months. But to have that conversation with your family and go, look, is everyone okay with that? Are we all, are we all on board with that? This is what it's going to take to get it to where we want to go. This is the vision. This is why go back to the, why we're doing it. Yeah. And, but everybody's got to be bought into that conversation. Right. So it's not, it's not as simple as just saying, yeah, I'm in on it. If, if your family isn't bought into it as well, there'll be a massive tension piece that will yeah. show up where they're like, well, you're never here. You're not doing this. And it's like, and, and I think for me, it's, it's just, it's just having the tool to go, right. Look, it's understanding number one, what is the boundaries? Like what's, what's, you know, where's there a, a switch off day, right? Where is there a boundary? And for me, I, I always say to clients, you've got to have at least one day a week. Absolutely. When you are hundred percent off, off, yeah. off social, off the grid, you know, you're not, um, you're, you're present with your family, with your, with people who matter in your life, yeah. because you will absolutely kick yourself if you build a very successful career in business and lose your family in the process. That's mm -hmm. not success. Right. So I think yeah. one of the key tools that I always have with clients is to go back and go, what is your definition of success? First of all, like, you know, there's a fight and you can have it in different categories. So relationship, what does that look like? What does a successful relationship look like? What does financial success look like? Cause it's different to everybody. Right. Yeah. And what, you know, what does life, what does, what is energy success? You know, do you want to get up in the morning with more energy and passion and bounce out of bed at quarter past five and, and go to the gym? Is that what success health-wise looks like? And really kind of look at each of those categories and ask yourself, what does the best version of me look like in that category? So that you can then measure when you're drifting away from that. Like I know if I don't work out three or four times a week, there's a version of me that I become that I'm not particularly the best version of me and I don't like it. So then you prioritize things that enable you to stay in the best version of you to yeah. serve as many people as you can. And I think it's, you know, it's the whole thing of sometimes as leaders, we need to be selfish before we can be selfless. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, you know, we, we, if we don't look after us, our energy, our mindset, we don't do things that put us in a good space, then we're never going to be able to, to support and serve others around us. We can't, we can't, you can't serve others from an empty bucket, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Absolutely. Can't pour from an empty cup was the, uh, the adage I was taught. But very true. And, and so what, what are the kind of challenges are your leaders up against at the moment, over and above what we've talked about so far? What, what else is on their plate? Yeah, I, I think, do you know what? I, I, I'd put it in a couple of categories. I think there is the constant challenge. I don't know if you found this, but the constant challenge of trying to avoid negativity <laughs> 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 like you know the the media will do a very good job of trying to convince you it's the end of the world all yeah. the time and i think that you know there's a challenge if you if you're a leader and you can control you know i talk about control the controllables it's one of my big kind of things is like no matter what else is going on about you just stop and go right what can i control right now and and that's a key question right it's always control the controllables but i think the media does a good job of trying to scare everybody and if you lead an organization or a team actually one of the challenges is to stop everybody else becoming scared or stop the team you're leading buying into the the, the global belief that's being pushed by the media at that particular point in time, right? Mm -hmm. That, whoa, it's the end of the world, everything's terrible. Well, no, it isn't. Actually, there's tons of good stuff going on in the world. There's lots of companies doing great stuff at the minute. There's loads of great breakthroughs being made in science and tech all over the world. Just mm -hmm. because the media chooses to focus on the worst of humanity doesn't mean the rest of us have to. But yeah. if you lead an organization, that's a challenge 
consistently to keep your team in a space where they're not being susceptible to the negative influence of other people as Zig Ziglar used to talk about. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one. I mean, then there's the practical challenges right now. Uh, and I'm sure every, you know, all, all the people that listen to your amazing show are, are experiencing some element of this, right? There is a talent shortage. There is an absolute real talent shortage. That's an issue, right? Mm-hmm. Trying to attract and retain talent talent is one of the biggest challenges facing most people. Then you've got uh, the the labor market price increases that are going on. Uh, I can show you people in my clients of mine in my mastermind that were paying 30 for a, a particular position six months ago and now having to pay 38, 39, thousand pounds for the same, to hire somebody at the same position. So you're talking about labor inc- increases that are, that are huge, right? Like the, compared to what we've had for the last four or five years, really significant. So that's a challenge because that's mm-hmm. putting a squeeze on margin everywhere. Because yeah. for most people, um, most businesses, the, if you look at a P&L, the people cost is the single biggest cost, right? So for most organizations, for 99% of organizations, it's that. Um, and therefore, if that goes up by 5 or 10% in one year, that's going to be a big hit on margins. So that's a challenge. They're definitely facing that one. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the accelerant in certain, certainly construction and certain other sectors where raw materials have just gone insane because of the supply chain issues and knock-ons from COVID and what's going on in Russia and Ukraine and, and all of those things and the disruption to the supply chain. Yeah, I've got a client of mine, the price of doors on a building contract went from £12 to £56 a door. Jesus. Yeah. That, so um, the farmer that I rent my house off, so this is this is where you have to think five moves ahead right now, right? Mm-hmm. So the farmers have got the cost of fertilizer has gone from 300 pounds a ton to a thousand pounds a ton. And they're genuinely looking at things going, it's not worth farming that stuff anymore. It just doesn't make commercial sense. Right. Mm-hmm. So like if you, if you extrapolate that and you go forward and you go, hmm, that's interesting. And then you go that plus Ukraine, there's a very real chance we could have a, a serious food shortage in the UK in the next six to nine months, mm-hmm. which is just going to drive the price of everything even higher. So then you go, well, so yeah, but like, if you know that, you just have to sit there and go, okay, so where's the opportunity? Like, how do I, how do I tack? What do I do differently? It's all of that stuff. There's opportunities now, and if you've got, if you've got the sense to not panic, and what wait while everyone else panics, and you can buy some stuff at amazing discounts right now. One of the things people say, what's the number one leadership ability you have to have? And I, and I, would, say, I would say flexibility. <laughs> so uh-huh. it's, it's like you have to be able to be flexible. It's like it's no good at the moment going, I've got a strategic plan and that's it. We're going this way and it's yeah. not changing because it's like, well, yeah, but the, the universe turns around and goes, well, yeah, but supply, you know, supply, your core product just went up 38% in the last two months. Well, I don't know, but our plan says this. Yeah, well, you're you're going to struggle then because because the market's not not the same as it was two months ago. And I think that's I think that's really challenging actually. If you're constantly dealing in a world where the things you're trying, you just want stability, right? You want some element mm-hmm. of certainty. And I think there's more uncertainty than ever, ever before. Right. And I think that's probably one of the biggest challenges right now for leaders is like how do you create certainty in a market where there is a lot of uncertainty. Yeah, absolutely. And the impact on your team as well in terms of... That. It's exhausting, actually. Yeah. Like, I think I'd, I'd say most clients of mine feel after the last two years, especially, it's, it's been exhausting, right? It's been non, it's been relentless. Mm-hmm. It's been genuinely relentless. It's been nonstop. It's been, you know, are we in lockdown? Are we not? Are we doing furlough? Are we not? Are we... Yeah. <laughs> like, the, and you just go, oh, can we just go back to a year where like everything just stayed the same for a while? Because it would like, just like a little bit of that for a while, just to catch yeah. your breath, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's a, that's a challenge for a lot of people. It's like, how do you still make good decisions when you know 
that you were emotionally pretty, pretty banged up, pretty, pretty tired. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's a, you know, I always talk about never make a big decision from a bad state. Yes. If you're in a bad state, don't make a big decision because it won't end well. You'll not make a good decision from that place. So how, how do you put yourself in a position where you're able to make, re, you know, how able to think five moves ahead? Yes. Yeah. I think, you know, that that's, that's one of those leadership skills is look, I, I need to be able to not look at the issue right now. I need to be able to look at what's going to happen three or four moves ahead and be, mm-hmm. be thinking that in that direction. And I think if you don't carve out time to, to recharge and reflect we, you were saying about you going on a retreat. Like if you don't, if you don't take that time to, to step back and recharge and reflect mm-hmm. and then, and then re-engage, it's very difficult to, 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 to be in the trenches and make decisions that, that are, that are going to be strategically wise six, yeah. nine months from now. Yeah, definitely. I completely agree about making sort of three, four, five steps in front. But sometimes I think at the moment you've got to almost do that three times, go through <laughs> that process three times because of the what ifs and the, and the maybes. Yep. Well, uh, yeah. yeah, and then next week something will have changed and, and we'll all be going, well, that plan's gone yeah. out the window, we've got to do it all again. Yeah, it's yeah. it's that. I think it's that mindset, it's the resiliency piece at the minute, I think is just how do you keep going when, you know, the only set, you have to have a level of belief. I think at the moment yes. the, the, the biggest currency is just, you know, in spite of whatever else I can see or not see, I, I need to have a level of certainty about we'll get through this, mm-hmm. we'll grow through this, we'll come out the other side better. Um, and we may thrive. We may be thriving right now. I've got a client I was telling you about before. Clients yeah. that are absolutely growing like crazy right now because they've got a level of certainty that the rest of the market doesn't have, and that's attractive to talent. If mm-hmm. you're really certain about where you're going, what you're doing, your business model, then you attract people who want to go work for leaders with that level of certainty. Whereas if you're not, and you're nervous and you're cautious and you're hanging about people, I, I think it's you're going to find it even harder to yeah. to retain good talent because they'll go they'll go work for people with more certainty yeah absolutely absolutely i was just speaking with one of the um ceos in my network about creating certainty for her team so she's looking for the things that they can hang the hat on so this is definitely going to stay the same over the next six nine twelve months but these are the things we need to prepare be prepared for for change and that's a really interesting concept if you can find things in your business that they will be able to rely on and have certainty around yep yeah, yeah i don't know what that is in their organization we didn't get that far but i think if you can provide a level of certainty around a couple of things that could be really helpful from a retention and confidence point of view i i completely agree and uh, what's interesting is that um most people are trying to in my experience anyway a lot of people are trying to ask the question what's going to change in our market what, what, rather than what's going to stay the same mm-hmm. and i remember seeing an interview with jeff uh, bezos a good 10 years ago, 10 plus years ago. And he was asked about like, what's his strategy? And he said, look, you know, Amazon's built on fundamentally three core things that we know will never change. Number one, customers are going to want massive amounts of choice. That's never going to change. They're always going to want lots of choice. Okay. Number two, they're always going to want to pay the lowest cost, uh, lowest price possible. So like, it's our job to keep finding ways to, to reduce, increase the price, reduce Reduce the 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 increase the range, reduce the price. Mm-hmm. And number three, they're going to want to get they want to going to have a great customer experience from the website to the product arriving, you know, the same day or you know mm-hmm. the next day or the afternoon you order it or whatever. And he said those three things will never change. 
So everything we build the business around has got to forward those three things all the time. So he said, you know, the way we deliver the product might change. It might be vans today. It might be um, electric you know, vans tomorrow, it might be drones after that. Mm-hmm. If you were in Milton Keynes, as we were last week with one of our masterminds, you know, there's the little drones running around delivering yes. packages on the street. It's like that, but that's just all part of the same core piece yes. of like getting the product to people as quickly as possible. How you do it is going to change, but the fundamental goal there stays the same, you know, mm-hmm. creating massive amounts of choice. Well, then strategically, you go and partner with people and allow other people to sell product on your platform because that quadruples the choice uh, for customers. So you go, well, that makes sense. And that's why they launched all the Amazon partner programs and you know Amazon sellers and all of those things, because it strategically afforded that goal. And then you go, okay, great. You know, they're, they're constantly investing in tech and platforms and ways to reduce cost of distribution because that's good allows them to pass on the, co- the cost of the customer. So if you look at what they're doing and you go, well, those three things haven't changed ever. Those, they've been at the core of every decision they've ever made. Mm-hmm. And and if you ask most, co- most companies, what are the three fundamental principles your business is built on that will never change? Like, they're going to sit there and go, I don't, I don't actually know, actually. I'm not, I don't have that kind of clarity. And it's confidence comes from clarity. I think if you've got clarity about the problem you solve for customers, what you do brilliantly as an organization, what differentiates you in the marketplace and, and then set about, you know, consistently um, following the formula of QQS, the quality and the quantity of the service you deliver for people. If you mm-hmm. constantly sit there and go, right, how can we add more value? How can we deliver a better experience? How can we serve our customers more? What do they need? What? Are, how can we serve them more? Mm-hmm. If you do that consistently over time and don't get sidetracked looking for silver bullets to solve some immediate issue, mm-hmm. you're going you're gonna to win because th- that they're the fundamentals, right? The, the clients of mine who've struggled over the years are the ones who get distracted by the next silver bullet promised by some guru somewhere. You know, I say to people, listen, you work with me, I'll guarantee you two things. Number one, if you've got a product or service that delivers a result for customers and works really well, then I can show you how to scale it, right? So if you're at a million, I can show you how to go to two to five. It's a fairly simple, pro- not simple, it's a, it's a logical process that we now know works after 17 years. There are steps, it takes about two years, right? But mm-hmm. what I can't control is you getting distracted in the way when somebody promises you a silver bullet that if you just did this one amazing thing, you'd get there in three minutes, you know, which mm-hmm. the reptilian brain of all of us goes, oh, yeah, that sounds yeah. great, right? But isn't true, which is why uh-huh. I don't do that kind of marketing. Um, because I'm like, look, this is hard to do, right? Mm-hmm. Being a leader is hard. It's not easy. That's why most people don't do it. It is a mm-hmm. difficult thing to do. It's hard. It's going to it's going to put you front and center with all of the stuff that you've got in your subconscious about you that you, you know, it's going to make you face all of your own demons and not many people want to do that. Yeah. And it is, and it's hard, right? It's hard. It's hard if you have to make somebody redundant. It's hard if, you know, if you've got to take someone down a disciplinary or what, that stuff's hard, right? It's not glamorous. It's not pretty. Nobody likes doing it. It's horrible, right? But that's what being a leader is that people don't see. They see the picking up the awards, going on stage, you know, picking up an award. That's they go off. Oh, it must be great to be you. And then you sit there and you go, yeah, but you didn't, you didn't see that he was, he was sleeping in the office for three months when that was going on during this issue. And, you know, they got sued by somebody there for wrongful dismissal. You know, you, nobody hears those bits of the stories, but they're all there. They're yeah. all there, you know, and it's, it's that whole kind of thing of, look, if you're going to go on the journey, understand the terrain, understand this is going to be hard, but it's mm-hmm. doable. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's easier if you go with a guide like you or me that knows, yeah, look, we know a bit of the terrain and yeah. don't turn left there, go that way. Here's a shortcut. Like, you know, make sure you pack the right kind of climbing gear. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. all of that, right? Yeah. 
That's a great analogy. It's a great analogy. Well, when somebody gets halfway up the mountain and somebody turns around and goes, did you, did you pack the oxygen? No, no, I thought you packed it. No, it was your job to pack the... And then, and then halfway up the mountain, it's like, oh, no. Now we find out we... we oh, that's a nightmare. Yeah, and there's a rumble of an avalanche over in the distance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in terms of leaders, past or present, famous or otherwise, that you particularly admire, does anyone stand out? I admire different people for different things. Because, like, I admire Elon Musk for just flat-out creativity and absolute insane guts to do what yeah. he did right like that i admire that and yet i absolutely will admire nelson mandela for the way he brought the country together and the fact that he didn't come out of prison with an you know, agenda to destroy everyone but to bring everyone together and it's yeah. like for me that's one of the big things that gets messed up with leadership is that everyone's looking for the right style like this is the one this is you know oh, this is the one i should adopt this is the right this is how to be a leader and i'm like there are like eight nine eight nine ten different ways to be a leader right there's not there's not this is the one and at yeah. different times in your business you're going to need to be different depending on what the business needs you to be too right <laughs> Absolutely. And I suppose different times in your career as well, like the, the early stage CEO versus the more seasoned CEO versus, it depends what size team you've got. There's all sorts yeah. of factors. I mean, how many variables do you want to throw in? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Depends what your lifestyle, what lifestyle you want. I mean, I'm a different leader now at 50 than I was at, at 30 or 20, right? That doesn't mean I wasn't, you know, it doesn't mean there weren't things that were good about me at that age. It's just at this point, you've got a little bit more wisdom. You've had a little bit more experience. You've had the edges knocked off you. You, you've, you've, you're going, yeah, that's not one to do. We've done that, but let's not do that again. It's like, but you know, when you're raw and real, it, it, it all comes back to intentions. I always think it's like, what's your intention in the moment? But you know, the difference between intention and impact can be night and day. And sometimes people don't, it's, it's your intention might be good, but your impact, the way you deliver it is really wrong. Or the person you deliver it to is in a different space than you thought and they can't handle it. And then your impact ends up being really negative. And it's like, that that you've got to be able to separate the two and sometimes it's like okay look that wasn't my intention but that i i have to own the impact and advice then so in terms of advice for those people that either either the clients that you coach what advice do you offer them or what advice would you offer to someone that was in a leadership position at the moment just hopefully coming out the side of some of the challenges and ready to go again what advice would you offer them wow what a big question um I'll tell you what, I'll tell you, I'll tell you how I'll, I'll answer this one. Cause I think, I think sometimes we forget as leaders that the most important thing is to understand yourself. So, mm -hmm. you know, I talk about this concept, the concept of flow. It's not mine. It's, it's one of those things is that it's the currency, it's the energy that you have. And we know when we're, and this was, I think I was talking to you off camera before we started about one of my challenges with people talking about leadership is that they try and give people a model of this is the one you should follow. Yeah. Like you should be, you should be like Branson or you should be on Elon Musk or you should be like, you know, they, it doesn't matter who, but people try and give you a leader and that's the model, right? Mm -hmm. and my point of view is always like, no, the, the, the model will work best for you is your own model, right? Yes. Which is going to be based on who you are as a profile. So like what your profile is. And then because depending, if you don't know yourself, you won't know who to put around you. So you like, I, I need very different people around me in my events business than I need, say, in my digital marketing business. The person heading up the digital marketing business is incredibly analytical, very detailed, loves all that stuff, lives and dies for process and systems. And I would want to slash my wrists with a blunt instrument if you gave me a spreadsheet for more than an hour, right? So like, but, but, right, but, but he doesn't want to be anywhere near a video camera and would hate to be on a podcast, right? So it's like, 
you got to know what you're good at and where you contribute value as a leader. And we all contribute value differently. There's no right or wrong way to do it. Just you need different people on the team depending on who you are. So first thing would be really understand who you are what your unique talent is or your unique contribution is and and how and and figure out looking at your diary how much of your time are you actually doing that most people if i have them do this they get horrified that they're spending 20% of their week doing stuff they're naturally really good at and um you know 80% of the time doing stuff they're mediocre or average at that if they actually empowered people on the team who are better than them to do it would do a far better job mm-hmm. in fact Um I'll give you a really quick story, right? Really quick story. So, got called into um a board of directors once to look at a company, a manufacturing company in the UK, <laughs> and sales were really stagnant. Like sales hadn't gone anywhere for the last two or three years, and they had a sales director, and they had an ops director, they had an MD, and they had uh, an HR director. Mm-hmm. And and on I profiled them all and we talked about what everyone was doing. And the sales director was just saying, "Oh, the products aren't selling anymore." And the, the MD was going, "Oh, the sales director's making excuses, <laughs> you know, all that stuff, right?" Yeah. And I just went, "Okay, so go back, go back to when you started the company. Like, wh- what? Who was in charge of R and D? Like, who owned R and D and product development? Like, who was coming up with the products that that, that initially drew drove the growth?" Mm-hmm. And um, everyone said, "Well, the MD he founded the company, and he was the head of the products and innovation." I said, "Okay, great." I said, "In the last." Three months. How much time, temp, like percentage-wise, have you spent involved in R and D, like at all? Like how much time? And he went zero, none, nothing. Haven't done any of it. Mm-hmm. And I said, right. So I said, so who's driving R and D? He said, well, nobody's really driving it. It's just kind of ticking along. But I, used, I'm, 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 but I'm being managing director, right? And mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, but if your contribution to the business is to do R and D, and and we got you out of a lot of the operational stuff that you just told me you hate. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Like, why is that a bad thing? And he was like, yeah. well, "I suppose it's probably not." I said, "Well, look, what happens if you just hired a a COO and we brought a COO in to do all the operational stuff that you hate, and we freed up eighty percent of your diary to just do R and D and product creation?" And, and he goes, oh, "I'd love that. That'd be amazing." Yeah, like, yeah. Well, it's your company. Like, no one's stopping you. Mm-hmm. So anyway, we we did that over the next three months. But what was interesting was a year later, the company had a record quarter. With new product that he created in the eighty percent of the time that he gave himself back to be doing what he was uniquely designed to do, so the company ended up growing because he was doing the right stuff. He was in flow, and then he put the right team around him to do stuff that he was not very good at. And I think, so if I was going to give advice, number one is figure out what you're really good at, and then figure out how you can make it the vast, the, the majority of your week doing that stuff. Mm-hmm. Number two, then figure out who you need around you as a really good leadership team who are brilliant at all the stuff you're not, so that the 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 combined power of a team and talk about team dynamics, the combined team dynamics is stronger than any one individual because mm-hmm. it will be. And then third, figure out you know who your customers are and how you can best support them now that you know you've got the team right. Because if you don't figure yourself out as a leader and you don't get the team right, you're never going to be able to get the scale the customer base because mm-hmm. you won't have the right team to support the customers. So it's that way: do it leader, teams, customers. Do it in that those three steps, and then you end up with what I refer to as a grown-up business. And and that's that whole kind of that. But that's the way to do it, and not run around like people keep going. Oh, just scale your business. Just go. And I'm like, no, no, no. If you don't have the right team in place, it'll all fall over, and you'll sit there and cry because it'll be horrible. And I've seen that happen. And it's like, no, no, no. Build it. Build it. You, the leader has to be, be. You have to be before you can do, and you have to do before you can have. Right. So it's like you got to become a better leader, become a better person for you, and then attract the team that will help you do everything that needs to happen for you to have a grown-up business. So it's that order, 
Mm-hmm. Um, so there you go. There's 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 some advice. Figure yourself out. Figure out if you've got the right team. If you haven't, you know, make changes to get the right people in the right seats, and and then look at how you uh, go back to that formula of how do you how do you scale by adding you know consistently more more service and solving more problems for your customers. Fantastic, fantastic. Thank you, Paul. I really enjoyed speaking with you. And if people want to get in touch to speak with you and continue the conversation, how do they find you? Uh, yeah, well, the great news is I have a very unusual surname, so it's easy to find me. So that's good stuff. So um, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. So um, you can check me out, Paul Avins on LinkedIn, or just go to paulavins.com. Um, or if you want to know if your business is, is ready for uh, scaling, I've got a scorecard that you can take, which is called the Scale Up Scorecard. So if you just Google that and go to that, you can take that. It's a completely free report, give you 12-page report on your business, where it is right now, what your issues are, and where you should really focus as a leader. Um, and based on 17 years of experience, I can give you genuine feedback on that. So yeah, if you if you want to know, get a get a sanity check on where you're at right now, um, use the scorecard because that's what it's designed to help you do. Fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you. That's great. right. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Genuinely, really like, I love talking about this stuff. And it's just, you know, my my the, I'll share one thing with you if I may, just to finish, is that mm-hmm. the, my my goal with the coaching isn't to help. It's really interesting. If people go, oh, you're just about helping people make money. I know, you know my, by, money is a byproduct of a company that delivers a massive amount of value for customers, yeah. right? That's a byproduct. Mm-hmm. But actually, the thing that gets me the most excited is when people report how many jobs are created. Yes. So like we had a couple of months ago where I was in a room and we'd, in one month we created 35 jobs and I kind of, and, and like that for me as a leader, that's when it's exciting, isn't it? It's like, right. Okay. We're not only building a great product, we're actually creating opportunities yes. for people. And I think that's, that's leaders are about creating opportunities, opportunities for, for people to grow, develop mm-hmm. opportunities for people to, to change. And, you know, whether somebody's with you for a reason, a season or forever as a company, it's like, if we can change them and make them better so that when they leave us, they're a better person at the end of that journey, then I think we've done our job. Yeah, fantastic. Fantastic. Couldn't agree more. Thank you, Paul. It's been great. Awesome. Thank you ever so much for having me.